Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we just thank you and praise you for the glorious hope that we have. Even as our, our brother Greg graduated this just yesterday, he's with you. He's been there already over a thousand years worshiping at your throne. Father, we thank you and praise you for that wonderful hope because of your word, not just because of wishful thinking, but because of even what we just read, that we will dwell with you forever. So many wonderful promises. Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching and that you will be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to do two parts. We're going to cover three verses this morning and three verses next week of this psalm. You see, the Holy Spirit inspired David to write this beautiful psalm. And it's easy to say that these are the most quoted verses in the whole Old Testament, if not the whole Bible. It is a psalm that brings tremendous comfort to believers and surprisingly even to unbelievers. We were watching uh, Bonanza. It's one of our favorite shows. We were watching Bonanza the other day. And Ben Ben Cartwright was uh, holding a Native American who had just been shot and he was dying. And Ben quoted, word perfect, Psalm 23. The whole psalm. I was like, this is crazy. I'm going to be teaching this in a couple weeks. Here's Ben's quoting the whole thing on TV. You see, all or parts thereof are referenced on cards, on headstones, at memorial service. Children memorize Psalm 23 and recite it. The aging seniors never get tired of hearing these verses. You know, a few years back, uh, Claudia and uh, two of our children went to an Alzheimer's unit. And every Sunday afternoon for, I don't know how long, a few months, maybe six months, we went and took the guitar and played some songs and just shared the word very short. And then we went around and, and talked with them. And it's amazing how when you can sing a song like Amazing Grace, even when everyone, this is an Alzheimer's unit, they're not there. But yet you will see them and all of a sudden their mouths will start to mouth the words of amazing grace. 
Or you'll, you'll go up to them and as we prayed with them and talked with them, you would just start to, to maybe recite Psalm 23. And it was like, you know, a, a, just, it was amazing. Just a, seconds, you know, not a moment because it didn't even last, but maybe even seconds where you'd be almost able to peer into the person's soul. There'd be like a cloud that would all of a sudden clear and, and they would, they would connect with you over, over a verse. And then it was, I, I can specifically remember doing this one time, it was like a cloud cleared, had maybe two or three seconds, and then the cloud came back. The word of God is powerful. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. You see, this psalm carries with it so many promises that unfortunately, the unbeliever has no idea exists. They can quote it, but they don't even understand what they're quoting. But over the next two Sundays, I hope that we can see some of those promises and give God thanks for all that he has done for us. Now, we're not exactly sure when David wrote this, but most believe that it was when he was older, seasoned by life's experiences. And what I find interesting is that God didn't use a person familiar with the city. And God didn't use a a person familiar with the agricultural crops of the day. God used a man who was very familiar with sheep to write this song. Why? Why did he do that? Well, Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep. 7.2 billion people on the face of the earth. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his or her own way. We're born with that nature, that corrupt nature. And until we become born again, we just stray. We have no idea why we're straying. We're not even sure where we're straying to, but we're just straying. We're going with the crowd. We're going with the thing that's in now. But once you receive Jesus as your Savior, now all of a sudden there's clarity. And yes, there's times of straying, but the Holy Spirit never gives up on us. And we can turn back as we're going to even see in this psalm. You see, we need to keep this in mind as we study this psalm. It was written with the intimate experience of a shepherd. You know, it's interesting about sheep. As it says, all we like sheep. Sheep are basically defenseless and they're not the brightest animals. Matter of fact, if a sheep gets stuck in a rut upside down, it will kick its feet and just flail. Bah! 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 And it will die. It will literally die. You don't, you know, when you go, have you guys ever driven the country? I mean, there's cows. There's like, in the desert here, there's cows. And you're like, what are these cows eating? What are they doing out here? Cows can go for months. If they fall on their back, they don't sit there. They turn right side up. It's like, hello. Sheep don't do that. All we like sheep. David understood this. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the founding fathers of the faith were all shepherds and at one point in their lives understood this basic principle. And so with that type of family background, David took his personal experience of watching and caring for sheep very seriously. Very seriously. 
then later on in life, God had him apply that personal knowledge in writing this psalm, showing us God's relationship between himself and his sheep and us. So the Lord is my shepherd. You see, a shepherd's job is to care for the sheep. Sheep learn to trust in the one who is over them with their lives, for their lives literally depended upon the shepherd. You see, the shepherd's job is to provide food and water as well as physical protection against predators, pestilence, as well as disease. And the flock's whole existence, think about this with what I just mentioned to you, cow, sheep. A flock's whole existence depends upon someone else watching over and providing for them. So as we start to look at this psalm in verse 1, a few obvious questions need to be asked. Do I acknowledge my need for a shepherd? You see, mentally you might go, yeah, Jesus is my shepherd. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Is he your shepherd? Is he really your shepherd? Yes, intellectually, he's my shepherd. I understand that. I got that. What's your next point? You gotta start with the first point. Do you even understand you need a shepherd? Do you need a shepherd? I need a shepherd. Every day. On a regular basis. I need a shepherd. Another question. Am I self-reliant and have no need for heavenly guidance except when I find myself in trouble? Oh yeah, yeah, I need a shepherd. Yeah, everything's fine between him and I. Yeah, everything's great. But you really don't have time with them. You don't spend time with them until something dramatic happens and all of a sudden after you do everything else, what do we often say? Well, I guess I should pray. Last resort, well, I guess I should pray. Basically what you're saying there is I don't need a shepherd. I don't have a shepherd. But when I'm in trouble, I'll look to the shepherd. All else fails. I guess I need a shepherd. No, you really want to get to the very forefront of the situation. Say, no, I need a shepherd. I need a shepherd every day. I need a shepherd on a regular basis. You see, David starts off with what most would acknowledge in their head, but few actually live out in their day-to-day lives. I would venture to say every Christian in this room, if I asked for a show of hands, would say, yes, I need a shepherd. Does every Christian live that out? Raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I'm just saying. Um, I would say no. Not every Christian does. So again, it's not about head knowledge. We're not here today to have a Bible study so you can grow in head knowledge. We're studying the Word of God so that our lives can become transformed by what we're reading. That we really not just understand it, but we apply it and allow it to transform our hearts. So the Lord is my shepherd. As we've noted before, the word Lord here in your Bible, it's in all caps, or at least it should be. Get a different Bible if it's not. It represents Jehovah or Yahweh. You see we have El, God, and then the name of God, the personal relationship of God in the Old Testament was what we believe Jehovah. We inserted the vowels. We don't know for sure. Yahweh. That's what we believe. But he had a personal name, and so they came to know God on a personal level. So David is saying here, not, well, God, you know, God, somewhere out there, God is my shepherd. No, Yahweh, Jehovah, 
He's my shepherd. David had a personal relationship with God. That is so important for you and I to really understand that. Let's look at John chapter 10. And as you're turning to John chapter 10, we're going to put a slide up. And I'm just going to read these one verse scriptures if you'd like to take a picture or write them down. Because David understood there was only one God. And for us today, there is only one shepherd and his name is Jesus. Now, yes, I would be considered a shepherd. Any pastor would be considered a shepherd. But listen to these verses as you turn to John chapter 10. Hebrews thirteen twenty. Now, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And 1 Peter 2.25, For you are like sheep going astray, referencing Isaiah, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Your souls. You know, that's very interesting. When you try to explain a soul to a, an individual, it's really hard to do. We're made up of body, soul, and spirit. I personally believe the soul is this. The soul is who you are, how you respond in a given situation. Something happens, and you blow up. You get mad. You just get furious. You are exposing your soul. You're allowing your soul to come out. Because your body is your body. Your spirit leaves when you die. You don't take your spirit to heaven, I personally believe. Your soul, who you are in Christ, now goes to heaven. And you get your new body, your eternal body. So when you hear about the soul in the Bible, it's very specific. It's not just some ambiguous thing out there. It's who you are. Are you short-tempered? Are you patient? Um, do you like being around people? Do you not like being around people? All these things about your personality... That's your soul. And that's what God wants to work on. He's not going to grow you a new finger. He's not really interested in that. Because you're not taking these fingers with you for all of eternity anyways. But he wants to work on your soul because that's what's going to go into eternity forevermore. So are you allowing the Lord, as we're going to see, to work on your soul? Again, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. John 10 most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now again, in case you're not familiar with it, the shepherds would bring their sheep into a pen, whether it was man-made out of wood, rocks, whatever it was, but the shepherd would literally lay down at the door. So if the sheep were going to try to get out, they would have to try to get out over the shepherd. So if you read these verses, the disciples understood perfectly what Jesus was talking about. And if somebody tried to climb in to steal a sheep, they were not a shepherd, they were a thief. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. Notice the intimacy here. David has intimacy. Jesus is showing us intimacy. And leads them out. 
And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before him and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. So if you had five shepherds and there were a hundred sheep, they all brought them together into this one corral or holding area. In the morning, the first shepherd would come and he had a very distinctive call and his sheep, out of the hundred sheep, his 20 sheep would know, oh, that's my shepherd, it's time for me to go. And they would then follow the shepherd. Next shepherd, next 20, so forth and so on. That's very important because the sheep understood the voice of the shepherd. Psalm 23 David understands, and he's conveying this. Let's skip down to verse 11 of John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And we know that to be the crucifixion. Skip down to verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now this is a very important verse, especially in the area that we live in. Because the Mormons have taken this totally out of context, and they proclaim that that they are the other fold. And that they're the ones that have been now brought in. Well, if you read from Genesis to Revelation, which you should do, it's going to become quite obvious and clear that it's not fact. The fact is, in context and with the word of God, there are two groups of people on the face of this earth. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. Now think about the early church. The early church was all Jewish. They were not welcoming the Gentiles in. Matter of fact, for several years, it was all Jewish. Who is Jesus speaking to in these verses? The disciples, Jews. They were of the mentality. We are the chosen frozen. We're not letting anybody else in. It's just for us Jews. Well, then Peter had the revelation. He goes to the seaside, to the house of Cornelius. And all of a sudden now, the Gentiles are now brought in. Who's brought in? The Gentiles. The other fold. You have Jews. You have Gentiles. Now, once the church is established, now you have a third group of people. So now you have Jews that are going to hell because they have not received Jesus as their Savior. You have Gentiles who are going to hell because they have not received Jesus as their Savior. And then you have the church. The church is those who have received Jesus as their Savior and now they're going to heaven. So there's just the, it's a, there's one fold. The fold is the church of God. And if you are a Jew who's received Jesus, you're a church. You're not to keep your Jewish roots per se and try to make everybody else a Jew. I see that happening even within Christianity. Well, let's learn all about the Jews and let's become Jewish and let's practice all the Jewish things. Let's learn about Jesus. I'm not going back to the law. It's great to know about it. I'm not knocking it. Yeah, learn about it. It's fun. Passover, we do it. But, you know, don't try to be an observant person of all the law and everything. You're not asked to go down that road. Or if you're a Gentile who received Jesus as your Savior, you're in the church. Three groups of people. I know most of you in this room have received Jesus as your Savior, so you're a part of that group. So if you do come across a Mormon and they do bring that up, you'll now know how to, to talk to them. No, it's Jew or Gentile. It's not the Mormons. 
You see, it's, it's important now to, again, answer a few questions. Do I really trust in the Lord as my shepherd? Again, no, these are basic questions. But please think bigger. Think bigger. Do I really trust the Lord as my shepherd? Do I really allow him to lead me? To discipline me? Do I take the time to even listen to his voice? Do I know his voice? Is he familiar with my voice? Or do I just have that, in case of emergency, break glass? And then he hears me. Another question. Do I really believe that he's watching over me for my whole well-being? Do I really believe that? Or do I just say it? And again, it's easy to say when things are going well. All of us as Christians, oh yeah, the Lord's my shepherd. Oh yeah, I'm going to hell. Oh yeah. And then all of a sudden something happens. It's like, where's God? Why doesn't he hear my prayer? We've seen it in David's life, right? But David goes back to the facts, to the facts of the word. You see, we may know the responsibilities of the shepherd, but the bottom line is this. Do we allow Jesus to be our shepherd? Do we literally allow that to take place? Because David says here, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Here is a very interesting statement. You see, the flock of a good shepherd had no real desires of their own because they had come to know that their needs were going to be met. I'm going to say that again. Step back and think big. David's using a physical analogy, spiritual principle. Jesus used a physical analogy, spiritual principle. The flock of a good shepherd had no real desires of their own because they had come to know that their needs were going to be met. You see, there was a personal relationship that had developed over a period of time between the shepherd and his sheep. It actually goes back to the shepherd's responsibility to have content sheep. The shepherd's responsibility. You see, the sheep were not out in the fields working away, planting and watering and fertilizing, going crazy, doing all these things. No, they were just out there to feed off of the land that the shepherd had led them to and then to rest in the care of that shepherd. And it's the same with us. You see, as we develop a relationship with our good shepherd, Jesus, we come to realize that he will always take care of our needs. We come to a restful place of, I shall not want. We trust so much in our shepherd that we know, no matter what the circumstances of life may be, he will be there to seek us out and to comfort us. You see, we're moving closer to that place of knowing that there truly is nothing that I want except the will of my shepherd. And hopefully as you grow older in the Lord, you're getting to that place yourself, which you should be. Again, nothing that I want except the will of my shepherd. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, 10 through 13. Again, David proclaims, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And again, this isn't the idea of David didn't want a new house or a new chariot or a new donkey. Big picture here. You got to think big picture. It's about contentment. 
Philippians 4.10, we're going to see Saul, who was Paul. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. You all wanted to bless me before, but there wasn't a, a need, but now there's a need and you've blessed me. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. I encourage you to highlight that in your Bible. Learned. Have you learned that you need a shepherd? I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul is proclaiming, I shall not want. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. In everywhere and in all things, I have learned. Notice again, I have learned. In your Christian walk, are you learning? Or are you just going through the same old motions and making the same mistakes and feeling the same feelings and going through the highs and the lows over and over and over again? Or are you learning something about God? I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, this next verse you probably have memorized, but maybe you didn't understand the text. So now, hopefully, you'll understand the context of verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, if I just could make more money, I could do all things through my employer that blesses me. If I could just make more money, I would be content. Or maybe it's family. You know, if my kids just behaved, I could do all things if my kids just behaved, that would strengthen me. No, it won't. All of it comes up empty at the end of the day. It's only the Holy Spirit through Christ that can give us the strength to press on and to be content no matter what the circumstances are. Again, a few obvious questions we could ask. Are we content with what the Lord has given to us? I mean, can we really say that we're content? And as we get older, I'll speak for myself, as I'm getting older, I'm finding more and more contentment. It's all going to burn. More to polish. More to dust. We're trying to get rid of things. It's like less to take care of. I had a conversation with Claudia the other day. I said, you know, if I find out that I'm going to die of something, I'm cleaning house. I'm not leaving that for you. I'm going to get rid of all my clothes. I'm going to get rid of everything that I can get rid of so that when I'm gone, you can just enjoy what you need to take care of and you don't have to take care of my stuff. You got, you know, (gasps) how can I get rid of something? It's quite easy. You, You take it to the garbage or you give it to Goodwill. I mean, it's really not that hard. Because when you die, you ain't taking it with you anyways. So why leave it for somebody else to have to mess with and anguish over? Get rid of it. Be a blessing, even after you're gone. I can guarantee you, I've been around other people who have not had that happen. Be a blessing. You know, another question might be, are we seeking after other fields besides those whom the Lord has prepared us for? Think about this. When you go to work, God has prepared that field for you specifically. That's where he wants you. But you go there, or you maybe go there, and you whine, you complain, you grumble, you want a different boss, you want a different job, you want a different career, and people around you don't want to be around you, because you're a Christian. Wow. Where do you go to church? Wow. No. 
God's placed you there because they need someone there that needs that knows Jesus. But unfortunately, we're discontent. Or do we have two hooves in the world and two hooves in the Word? Have I really submitted my whole life to God and laid it all down? Now I've got to hold on just to this little piece. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, Philip Keller, he wrote a shepherd's look at Psalm 23. It's an excellent little paperback book. You can download it on your computer. A shepherd's look at Psalm 23. And he asked, this is the point that he makes in, in one area of his book. When will sheep lie down and rest? When will sheep lie down and rest? Four things need to take place. Now this is a, he was literally a shepherd, a modern day shepherd. So he learned all about this stuff. Sheep need to be free from fear. They need to be free from fear. They need to be free from friction because sheep will bite each other. Not that this ever happens in the church, but sheep will bite each other. They need to be free from flies or parasites. And they need to be free from hunger. Because I, I like this. It says here, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Those six words there, he makes me lie, to lie down. It's one Hebrew root word, which means to recline, to stretch oneself out. Isn't that awesome? In, in the wintertime, I have two favorite chairs that I like, two lazy boys that I like. In the wintertime, when it's cold enough to drink hot chocolate, I, I get hot chocolate, and I get in the morning, I kick back in the Lazy Boy, and I got a beautiful view out in the backyard, uh, Santan Mountains, and I drink my hot chocolate as I'm reading my Bible. What does it say? To recline. He makes me lie down in green pastures. To stretch oneself out. You see, our shepherd takes such good care of us that it causes us to desire to just lay down and rest. Just rest. You see, we don't have to seek out provision with worry or concern. Now, we obviously need to seek out employment. If you've been around here any amount of time, you know what I have to think about this. But not with worry or concern. Why not? Because we have come to trust in the Lord as our loving shepherd. He will make provision for our daily needs. But the world, as well as our flesh, will try to get us to worry and be consumed with concern over the simple things of this life. You see, the world would have us focus on the security of the temporal instead of seeking after the eternal. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He's the one that does it. And when we focus on the temporal, we may find ourselves starting to run from field to field. There's better over there. There's better over there. Marital relationships. It's the goofiest thing. It's better over there. Does anybody know why it's greener on the other side of the fence? Does anybody really know why it's... I can tell you why it's greener on the other side of the fence. Fertilizer. 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 If you're not fertilizing your lawn, it starts to turn brown. You fertilize your lawn, what does it do? It turns green. After the rainstorm comes through, what happens? Lightning bolts fertilize, create fertilizer in the rain. It's not just water. 
It's God's design. That's why everything greens up after a storm. It's like, wow, look at how green it is. That's because there's fertilizer in the rain. The other thing is you take yourself with you into the next relationship. Always remember that. It's greener because there's fertilizer over there and you're taking yourself with it. Have fun stepping in it because it's not going to be pretty when it's all said and done. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me beside the still waters. You see, sheep are skittish. They need quiet waters to drink out of. They don't like a loud, roaring, rushing action of a river. The shepherd obviously knows this, and so he leads them where they will be able to relax and sip. And depending on the time and location of the herd, the morning dew is sometimes enough to sustain the sheep. Depending on the time and location of the herd. I'm sorry I said that. So, But the shepherd takes great pains to keep the sheep well watered. Again, I look at this as a time to be refreshed, which we all need that time as well. Again, going back to my analogy earlier, the lazy boy. Do you have a spot? That, that's my spot. Don't mess with my spot. There's other spots in the house. Don't, don't mess with my spot. It's so important. You see, if we, it's hard to find time to listen to the calmness of God's word. So instead of waiting to find time, I'll find time. I'll find time. You're waiting to find time. I encourage you to make the time. You have to make the time. I'm talking about myself as well. That's why that's my spot. Don't sit in my spot. Because for me, if I don't do it, the day gets going, and by the end of the day, I'm falling asleep in my spot reading my Bible. Because it's really comfortable. But in the morning, I'm wide awake. It's comfortable. I'm resting. I'm refreshed. I'm relaxed. I'm ready to hear from God. I don't do it for you. I do it for me. You may get the benefits, but I do it for me. Be selfish in that one area. And tell people, no, this is my quiet time. Don't bug me. You'll offend them. They'll get over it. They'll really appreciate it over time. They really will. You see, the more we read the word, the less skittish we become. We really do. We continually realize how much the chief shepherd cares for us. Let's look at Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. You see, the Lord desires to lead us beside the still waters that we might drink of his word. The question is, do we allow him? Do we allow him? Isaiah 55. And again, in the word, the word is equated to water. Jesus talked about living water. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts, God speaking, it's in quotes, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, praise God, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The word restore there means to turn back. To turn back. 
You see, the good shepherd took care of his sheep for many reasons. And one reason was he desired a good reputation about his abilities as a shepherd. And Jesus is the same, except he's not concerned about his reputation. He knows he's the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. But he does desire to restore our soul because of his father's name. You see, many times in this life, we do things that cause us great sorrow. And we find ourselves not in right standing with God. Simple question, am I ready to repent as a believer? Am I ready to turn? Am I ready for to allow the Holy Spirit to restore my soul? Again, it's about your soul, what you're going to take into heaven. You, you had a fit of rage. Okay, are you going to keep going down that road? Or are you going to return? Are you going to turn? Again, the restore means to turn back. Are you going to turn back to God and say, God, restore my soul. I do not want this in my soul anymore. Sometimes we can say, well, I want this in my life. It's a lot easier to say I don't want this in my life than to say I I got a personality problem. Because when you say I don't want this in my soul, you're saying I got a personality problem. Who likes to admit they have a personality problem? Not too many people. But we all do. Every one of us in this room, we all have personality problems. And so we have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our personalities into the image of Christ. Christ was the only one that didn't have a personality problem. So we want to become more like Christ. You see, we hurt deep down in our souls because of what we have done or what we have allowed to happen in our lives. And this is where the grace of God comes in. Grace restores our soul and gives us new hope. A hope that is built upon his goodness. You see, God's goodness leads me out, turns me back to him of my despair and puts me back on the path of righteousness or of being in right standing with God. You see, God truly does desire to lead us, but we have to be willing to follow And as we allow God to lead us down the paths of his righteousness, it brings peace and calmness to our souls that is beyond explanation. Romans 2.4 says this, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, the goodness of God, leads you to repentance? Again, simple question. Are we willing to allow him to lead? Let's look at Luke chapter 11 and we'll wrap it up with these verses. Are we, are we willing to allow God to lead? Are we willing to allow Jesus to be our chief shepherd? Well, how can I make that happen? Luke chapter 11. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he's giving them a guaranteed promise right here. If you ask, you'll receive. If you find, uh, if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it's going to be open. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. For if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will the father give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if the son asks for an egg, will the father offer him a scorpion? Answers, they're rhetorical questions. It's obvious. No, no, no. If you then being evil, I like what Jesus says right there. 
you think you're so good because you do good things for your kids, you're evil. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, now you'll find these same exact verses in Matthew, but you won't find this verse in Matthew. You'll find the ask to seek the knock in Matthew, which can then lead you to think, oh yeah, I want a bigger house, I want a faster car, I want this, I want that. No, that's why I want to read the whole Bible. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, the Holy Spirit will always restore us when we repent. The Holy Spirit will always lead us back to that path of righteousness for the sake of the Father's name. Remember what Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Not glorify me. Jesus pointed to the Father. He pointed to the Father. He pointed to the Father. You know, for this next week, let's continually seek after the chief shepherd of our soul and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work on our hearts. It's well worth the time. But guys, commit the time. If you don't have a designated devotional time, you need to make one. You have to if you want to become more like Christ. If you just want to be a Christian and make it to heaven, so be it. You don't want your soul restored or your soul transformed, so be it. But do us all a favor, because all of our personalities need to be tweaked. Do us all a favor. You know, you're doing everybody a favor when you're allowing the Holy Spirit to tweak your personality. Spend time in the Word and allow the Holy Spirit to restore your soul and make it right with Him. Father, we just thank You and praise You for this morning. Lord, we thank You for David. He is so open. He is so honest. He is so real. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable because he's too real. And your word makes us uncomfortable because it just shows us our need for a savior and for our need for a shepherd. That we're just, we're just sheep. We get in a rut and we need somebody to make us right side up again. So, Father, we come as your sheep, as your saints, and just ask for more of your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you and praise you for these saints. I know they're here because they love you. They love your word. But, Lord, Jesus has taught us to, to seek, to knock. So even right now, Lord, wherever we may be in our Christian walk, we just want to ask for more of your Holy Spirit, that you would restore our soul, that you would refresh our soul, that we'd be more like Jesus each and every day. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus as your Savior and you didn't like what I said earlier. Well, it's not what I say, it's what the Bible says. And I love the word enough to speak to you the truth. I will never love anyone to hell. If you don't have Jesus as your Savior... According to God's word, you're choosing hell yourself. God sends no one to hell. You're saying to God, I don't need you. I don't want you. I'll get there myself. That's your choice. But it's not going to work because you have to be perfect. You have to be sinless. Never commit a sin your whole life. 
And there's no one on earth that's ever done that except for Jesus. So if you don't have Jesus as your Savior today, God's not sending you to hell. You're just choosing to go there yourself. So what I would encourage you to do is to pray this simple prayer that I'm going to pray and ask Jesus into your heart. We're not here to play church. We're here to build our relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God, God is reaching out to you right now. He is saying to you right now, I love you and I desire a relationship with you. Would you like that? It's your choice. Just pray this simple prayer if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior. God, I do need a Savior. I am that person that Isaiah spoke about hundreds of years ago. I do go astray. I do go my own way. And I need a Savior. So God, I invite right now, I invite Jesus into my life. God, right now, I invite your Holy Spirit into my life. I'm I'm not really sure what that means, but I know you'll show me. I'm starting that trust relationship right now with you. So I say thank you for receiving me. Through this simple prayer, I say thank you that I am now your son, that I am now your daughter, and that when I die, I will be with you forevermore. Thank you, Father, for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, for all of us, use us this week for your glory. As we go out into our mission field, help us to be available. Help us to be bold. Give us strength to proclaim your goodness and your faithfulness for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, won't we all stand, guys? This, you know, there's a, in the first service, there was a gentleman that always sat in this chair right over here, Greg Norman, with his wife, Liesel and Susie. And uh, a couple years ago, two or three years ago, I don't know the exact time frame, he was, uh, he's had heart issues over the years, and he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you know what? Um, this is the way it is. We cannot do anything more for you. Um, enjoy your life. We have no idea how long you're going to last. And so uh, I found out about it, and we were chatting. We've known them for many, many years. And every Sunday, I'd go up to him and say, you're still here. And, and it became a little joke with us. you know. And he, he just one time, you know, for a while, I didn't do it for like a month or something. And I, and I heard something, and I went up to him. I said, Greg, what, what's the matter? He goes, well, I miss you asking me if I'm still here. Okay, I, so every week, you're still here. The son, today, this morning, his wife and daughter come in, Susie. And I go, well, where's Greg? And, uh, and she goes, well, he's not here. I go, okay, where is he? And she goes, he, he passed away yesterday. I go, what? <laughs> Why didn't you call? What do you mean he's not here? He pa- I thought she was joking me with me. And no, he, he passed away. He had a fit, uh, f- uh, fa- what are those things called? 
Fit? 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 Yeah, you had one of those. And uh, it takes your heart rate, takes your heartbeat. Well, at Saturday morning at 1237, it stopped taking his heartbeat. He went home to be with Jesus. He got his brand new body. He literally graduated yesterday. <laughs> so, I can't ask him anymore. You're st- so you're still here. I can't do that anymore. I kind of miss that. But it's going to be sweet to see him again. So if you don't know that for certain, come up at, I already prayed, come up at, come and receive Jesus as your Savior. Because Greg was ready to go. And Lisa came this morning. She's a, she was so glad to be here. It was hard because they've been coming for years and years and years with him by her side. She said, you know, I knew if I didn't come today, I might not come back. I had to be here today. You see, guys, that's what, that's what family is all about and community is all about and relationships all about. So that we can hug on each other, encourage each other, and show each other to the throne room of God on a regular basis. Have a blessed week, guys. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you.